0: Do you ever get a sense God's got something really out of the ordinary on the go? Uh, Beth and I just got to meet a visitor here, and the cool thing is she has no idea what I'm saying because she doesn't speak English. Solo habla español. Y para nosotros ha sido un gusto, una bendición enorme poder saludarle y decirle gracias Y decirle que está en casa en cualquier ratito. Mucho, pero mucho gusto. ¡Qué bendición! That's like, what a blessing. Um, I'm Len. Uh, I'm, they told me when I first got here, I'm missionary in residence. They were working on my business cards this week because apparently having a business card is some kind of a deal in L.A., They, the infamous, they weren't crazy about missionary in residence. I said, I'm just kind of an ordinary schmo, so I'm now officially the schmo in residence for Redemption Hill Churches. Okay, that's how I will prefer to be known. (laughs) Thank you, Uh, Beth and I. In case you missed it a couple weeks ago, we have had the crazy privilege of being missionaries in Quito, Ecuador, um, for mm, years. Which is more than 25, and that's all I'm going to say. And I have the, I, I'm, I'm realizing more all the time how much of a privilege it is. I, I, I have the privilege principally of being here for a year. If you're familiar at all with Genesis, Exodus, I have the privilege of being kind of an Aaron to your Moses and just holding up the dude's weary arms. That's what I'm looking forward to doing. So. And this morning, there are going to be images and words behind me because where I teach is predominantly English as a second language. About 60% of the people that come to English Fellowship Church have English as a second or a third or a fourth language, so extra sensory stuff helps. The rest of us are ADD, so anything other than just the guy droning on is a help. So uh, we'll see how it goes. I, I hope it's a clarifying thing, not a distracting thing for any or all of you. Now, I'd love it if you would pray with me and for me. Father, help. It's amazing how many times that prayer of Peter, when he was going down, it becomes just such a practical prayer. Yeah, it's not like I feel like I'm going down, but I really want to walk with Jesus here. I want him to radiate from what is written in front of me. I want him to radiate from deep inside of me. I want him to be clarified to the people in front of me. I have absolutely nothing to offer these folks on my own, but Holy Spirit, because of you and through the grace of the Father, the fact that you dwell in me, there's no way of knowing what you want to do, what you will do, what you plan on doing in hearts and minds and lives from digging into this word. So Holy Spirit, as we dig into it, would you please dig deeper into us? Amen. Also, and since I'm the one with the microphone and we're in kind of a weird place to transition, I do want to plead for prayer for one specific thing. Between like... 3 and 7 this afternoon. We have a 21-year-old daughter and a 19-year-old daughter. Our 21-year-old daughter, one of her transitional challenges is learning to drive and not just really learning to drive, learning to drive in Los Angeles. I don't know if you've noticed, that can be kind of a unique challenge. So today, this afternoon, Jenny is making her first solo flight in a Honda Accord um, from Manhattan Beach into Los Angeles City, and as kind of sort of nervous mom and dad, we'd love prayer for us and for her, and probably for people around her, too. Um <laughs> yeah. It never ceases to amaze me what you can say to get an amen in a church, but been you've been there. So yeah. Anyway, I, I have kind of a weird time and place to take us on Christmas Eve, 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 Eve. The time was about a thousand years before the birth of Jesus of Nazareth, the place was between where Jesus was born and and where he grew up. Oh, there. See, it's working. Um, I'm going to have to move over here or I'm going to end up blind before this is done. No offense to you over there. I'll just talk louder and look at you to make sure you stay with me. That, the place was pretty much right between where Jesus was born and where Jesus grew up. And and there's a report of it in the Old Testament book of 2 Kings. Uh, 2 Kings is about a quarter of the way into the Bible. You can go on to the next slide, and it'll show you, see, that's where this takes place. And the report of it is in the Old Testament book of 2 Kings. 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 24. So, Second Kings 6, 24, if you have one of these paper ones, go to it. If you have a device, I'll pray the Holy Spirit gives you supernatural self-control. You stay away from angry birds and stay with the text for the morning. At that point in history, Samaria was the capital of Israel. At that point in world history, the Aramaeans or the Syrians, as some Bible versions call them, wanted the city of Samaria. So their massive army swept in from the northeast and was using a fairly common military tactic back then. They hadn't actually attacked the city yet. They kind of had it sealed off and they had it locked down so nothing and no one could get in or out and supplies had dried up and people had begun to starve and, and, and water channels in and sewers out had been blocked off so diseases were spreading like crazy through the city. And it got so bad, one report said a donkey's head was sold for 80 shekels of silver and the fourth part of a cab of dove's dung for five shekels of silver. And all God's people said, you didn't say amen, you either said, ugh, or what? Doesn't sound like a typical Costco run, right? So a little explanation might be helpful seems like the reference to a donkey's head was a literal reference, and the thought of eating a donkey's head would have been as disgusting then as it is today. Heads don't have much meat, and in any culture, people would only even try to make soup out of one, and only then if things were really desperate. A donkey was considered unclean to the Jews, so the head of one would have been one of the last of the last things they would eat. Despite that, things were so bad, one donkey's head was being sold for the equivalent of several days' wages. Now, dove's dung, as funny as it sounds, probably was not a literal translation, And I came to that conclusion because if people were desperate enough to be paying so much for a donkey's head, it would seem every single dove had likely already been hunted and eaten in the city. So there wouldn't have been any doves to leave any droppings at that point in the story. Wasn't able to find out for sure what exactly was meant by dove's dung, but all the possibilities sound really gross. Now, when it refers to the fourth part of a cab, it means there would have been about a cup of whatever it was. So you need to think in terms of, say, paying about $600 for a dead rat and a cup of weeds or a cup of dust. And you'd have to make that last as your food for several days. So think of some of the most heart-wrenching images you've seen from famines in places like Africa or Syrian refugee camps. Now to illustrate just how bad things were, a little later in, in 2 Kings chapter 6, there's the report of a woman who tricked her friend into allowing them to eat her child. Now, if you believe the Bible is boring, you must not look very closely at stories like that. The Bible has some scenes that would make the walking dead seem kind of dull by comparison. The report goes on to focus on four lepers who had been banished, quarantined, locked out of the city. Now, on his or her best day, life was horrible for a leper. It would have been immeasurably worse being trapped between this starving city and a massive, hostile, sadistic waiting army there wouldn't even have been anyone passing by to try to rob or even a a stray dog to kill. So they hit the point where they knew they would die if they stayed where they were. Now they knew the people of the city were so freaked out by leprosy they would have been killed if they tried to get in. And if they were somehow able to sneak in, they knew they would just die of starvation there anyway. So they decided they would go to the army camp and they would just plead for mercy. Maybe beg to be allowed to do the lowest of the low jobs around an army camp. And It was their only hope, or so they thought. What they didn't know was God had stirred up some miraculous sound effects that would make George Lucas envious. And and these sound effects had freaked out all the soldiers so badly they had all gone running as fast as they could out of the camp and they kept on running and they were long gone. And when I say they were all gone, that really meant something. Because if you take a look a little earlier in Second Kings 6 and then go back even further to like First Kings 20, You'll see this army was made up of the combined forces of 32 kings. Okay? The army was made up of the combined forces of 32 kings. And the army was so massive, it says it wasn't really affected too negatively when just one battle took the lives of 100,000 of its soldiers. So we're talking one massive army. So their camp would have been enormous. And they had been attacking and pillaging and plundering in towns and cities for quite a while. So, And their camp would have been really well stocked. When the lepers got there, they were just (laughs) amazed. Because it was completely deserted. And they quickly became even more amazed by what they found in the camp. I I don't know how active your imagination is at your best or how active it is today, but just try to imagine the way it's written. They went into one tent after another, eating, drinking wine, carrying out silver and gold and clothing and, not surprisingly, hiding it. We're talking extreme outcasts, poorer than poor, starving to death, all of a sudden, with riches beyond their wildest dreams. And at first, they reacted the way, arguably, Most of us would. And can you imagine the party they threw for themselves? I mean, I just picture them shuffling from from tent to tent and kind of high-fiving each other as they pass one another on their way from tent to tent and just laughing like madmen. It's not clear how long that went on. But it sure seems like the Holy Spirit began blowing through the camp. At least, that's the only valid explanation I can come up with for what happened next. The writer tells us, they said, we're not doing right. This is a day of good news, and we do not speak up. Did you notice one little phrase in the middle of that? One that should look familiar this time of year. I'll give you a hint. Linus has been using it on primetime television for 50 years. Good news. It was an ancient version of a word an angel spoke 2,000 years ago to certain poor shepherds in fields as they lay. It was the line Linus used from the angel he quoted when he told Charlie Brown about the good news of great joy that will be for all people. Unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior. Good news. Good news. Now, think of the lepers saying it. (laughs) Think of where they were. This is a day of good news. Just try to think just how good that good news had been for them. They, the, the lepers, had been left like the original walking dead, And they stumbled onto life like they never could have dreamed. Life totally unexpected. Absolutely undeserved. Now, please don't hear this story even remotely supporting the sick lie that says the Bible teaches a gospel of prosperity. A story like this is in the Bible, at least in parts, as a picture, as an illustration of God's grace. And while that grace can get people stuff, material things, God is far more concerned about getting into our hearts, getting into our souls, getting into our minds, and transforming us from the inside out. Now, I mentioned how it seemed like the Holy Spirit had begun to blow through that army camp. And as I tried to really picture the scene and I dug into the original words and the context, it began to seem like there was more going on for the four lepers than just the stuff they had stumbled onto. It really seems to me as though something. Or more literally, someone had begun to stir inside them. I mean, look at it again. If you have your Bible, Second Kings 7-9. They said to one another, 2 Kings 7-9, we're not doing right. This day is a day of good news. And, and if we're silent... Punishment will overtake us. Now, where that version of the Bible refers to their concern about punishment, the original word looked to me like they were worried about something happening, but something they really couldn't see or touch. It seems like they were worried about something kind of otherworldly. While what was going on around them was miraculously material, it seems as though at some level they were aware of something supernatural. And second kings 7:10 reports how the four lepers dropped everything and shuffled to the city gates to tell the good news. They didn't have to do that. I don't know many people who would have blamed them if they didn't do that. I mean, they would have had all kinds of reasons to hate the people of the city. I mean, it seems pretty clear the people of the city had been the ones who had thrown them out when they got sick in the first place. Or refused to let them in one day when they showed up and knocked on the city gates and they saw they were sick. And knowing what we know about the Holy Spirit 3,000 years later, it sure seems like it could have been Him who made them actually care about the people of the city. And it sure seems like the kind of thing the Holy Spirit would do to lead them to the city to tell about what they had found. And it seems like they were unintentionally illustrating what became a fairly well-known quote last century. And that is evangelism is one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. I like that. Now people in the city... We're so desperate. Think of this in terms of culture today. Try to understand the illustration I'm trying to make about good news. But people in the city were so desperate, they forgot or they overlooked how afraid they were of the lepers. Or how much they despised the lepers. The king was worried it was a trap set by the army. But the people were so desperate, they listened to the lepers rather than their king. Now look at how Eugene Peterson translated the scene in the message. It says, the king, can we get there? Tick, tick. Ordered his attendant, the one he leaned on for support, to be in charge of the city gate the people turned into a mob have you ever seen an actual mob poured through the gate trampling him to death and second king 7 continues with the people rushing can you think black friday on steroids people rushing from the city gate to the army camp, but it wasn't Walmart. It was a place that had once represented certain death to them. People facing death found life in the most unlikely place. Look at that again go over it slowly people facing death found life in the most unlikely place take that and go back to that elementary school stage with Linus you know good news a savior Now, implied in the Jewish culture at that time, after centuries of waiting and centuries of longing, it was more literally the Savior. The Savior. The Jews' long-awaited Messiah in the most unlikely place in a barnyard animal's food trough, making him essentially unclean from his first breaths. Introduced in a tiny town, not in the holy city. Wrapped in scraps of cloth, not in a royal blanket. This ridiculous story about how God had gotten his teenage mom pregnant. And how an angel had talked to his mom and not The male religious leaders and mom and dad weren't even married. The Savior in the most unlikely place. And I'm so grateful, I'm so excited, the teaching leaders from the triad of Redemption Hill churches are linking this month's series focusing on the baby in the manger with the next series on real hope, and they're going to use that to lead us all the way into Easter, because in order to find real hope, the manger, the cross, and the empty tomb need to be held together even though, man, they are the most unlikely places for people who realize how desperate they are to find real hope and real life. Now, in case you missed the illustration, the lepers in the story are pictures of us. Uh, The band... Casting Crowns did a song that underlined that. I won't sing it. I'll just say part of the words sung to Jesus. For the leper and the lame, they're the reason that you came. Lord, I was that lost cause and I was the outcast. And Pastor Dennis is going to focus there in a very creative way on Christmas Eve. Lord, I was that lost cause, and I was the outcast, but you died for sinners just like me, a grateful leper at your feet. Now, I've taken a slightly different path to get to what the teachers from the other Redemption Hill churches are focusing on this morning. At a time, the Apostle Paul used stronger words than casting crowns did for sinners Just like me. It's the time the Apostle Paul called himself the worst sinner ever. In the Bible, Paul never refers to this story from 2 Kings, but I'm pretty sure he would have understood the illustration about the desperation of the lepers and how crazy it was for them, of all people, to find hope. Especially where they found hope. Paul found real hope for real life in the cross. And the cross was the symbol of death in his culture. But the cross came to represent life like he never could have dreamed. Now, for part of his adult and professional life, Paul tortured and killed people for believing what Jesus did on a cross and what Jesus' dead earth body did after he was buried. What went on to be called the good news. The Holy Spirit turned Paul's entire world upside down and he came to believe people were dying and going to hell without believing the good news. And then Paul went on to write things like Christ has destroyed death. And through the good news, he's brought eternal life into full view. Paul's belief about being the worst sinner ever magnified his belief about how good news really is good. And, and His belief about just how good the news really is. I, I don't believe we're going to begin to grasp how good the news is that we have a Savior until we begin to realize and admit how bad the news is about the sin in and around us and the sins it leads us into. We're just never going to get how good the news is until we begin to realize and admit how bad the news is without Him. Now, knowing Jesus as Savior will not just keep me out of hell and get me into heaven with Jesus when I die. Knowing Jesus as Savior gets Him living in me here and now. Knowing Jesus as Savior will not just Keep me out of hell and get me into heaven with Jesus when I die, which is mind-blowing enough. Knowing Jesus as Savior gets Him living in me now. And through the ministry of the Holy Spirit, He longs to live more freely in me all the time. And Paul wrote, I was appointed to be a messenger of this good news. I believe... When Paul wrote that, he would have had just this amazing mixture of awe and humility and excitement and joy appointed to be a messenger of this good news. And, and if you truly believe the good news, let's leave that there. And would you repeat that with me? Because even though Paul wrote it originally in first person, I believe the rest of what he wrote confirms it is one of many lines in the Bible that is to extend to all believers for all times. So if you're a believer, would you just say that out loud? I was appointed to be a messenger of this good news and a teacher. Now, the word Paul used for messenger was well known in the Roman Empire. This messenger was an officially designated person who was sent out with what one Bible commentary called public proclamations from kings, magistrates, princes, or military commanders. Basically, the messenger was sent out to strategic places all across the empire announcing whatever the emperor wanted to make known. So the messenger had to be sure what the emperor had said because messing up the message would cost him his job and often cost him his life. So what I get from that is the message was far more important than the messenger. And we should all breathe an enormous sigh of relief with that. The message immeasurably more important than anyone who brings it. Now, after people came to hear and then truly believe the good news... They learned it was about something, actually someone who was truly alive. And this someone was transforming them. And Paul believed if someone truly believed and was being truly transformed, he or she would not, maybe even could not, stay quiet about it. So it would seek ways to become better at talking about what was going on inside. Remember the four lepers and the conclusion they came to? We're not doing right. This is good news, and, and, and we're not speaking up. And I think we should spend at least a little time dealing with one way the story of these four lepers is drastically different from the illustration I'm trying to use it for. Because I don't know if you've noticed But way more people are interested in the kind of good news the lepers brought than the good news Linus was talking about. (laughs) You notice that lately? This week, um, I read about officials at this elementary school in Kentucky who told the drama department at the elementary school... Linus's main part from this year's performance of a Charlie Brown's Christmas, the whole part where Linus recites the big part from Luke 2 to tell Charlie Brown what Christmas is all about, the school superintendent said all of that had to be cut. He explained how their understanding of a new federal law meant the Bible had to be cut because public school staff may not endorse any religion when acting in their official capacities and during school activities. So, Linus got a little muted in Kentucky. There are many reasons that sort of thing really shouldn't be surprising, I mean, the good news was barely 30 years old when a man like Paul had to try to encourage the first believers with words like, don't be ashamed to speak for our Lord. And don't be ashamed of me just because I'm in jail for serving Him. Join with me in suffering for telling the good news. I don't think that's included on this might not be all that effective if you include a line like that. Join us in suffering for handing this out to folks. But I'm looking at that this week and I'm going, if it's such good news, why is it so easy to kind of feel ashamed of talking about it? Why was Paul suffering for telling it? If it's such good news, why was Paul writing those words from one of the most cruel prisons in history awaiting execution? Yes, the number of people who believed the good news was growing across the Roman Empire, but so was resistance, so was opposition to it. And after just 30 years, it wasn't a lack of evidence that caused that. Then, like now, people just didn't want to believe Jesus is the Savior. Or that they need a Savior in the first place. This may get a little heavy, but while I was working on a paper in seminary, I found this article about a Nobel Prize winning scientist from about 50 years ago. And man, I really appreciate his honesty. And he seems like the kind of guy I love to linger over coffee with. Scientific American, he said, there are only two possibilities as to how life arose. One is spontaneous generation arising to evolution, the other is a supernatural creative act of God. There is no third possibility. Spontaneous generation that life arose from non-living matter was scientifically disproved 20 years ago by Louis Pasteur and others, which leaves us with only one possible conclusion. Life arose as a creative act of God. And this is where I love the guy's honesty. I will not accept that philosophically because I do not want to believe in God. Therefore, I choose to believe in that which I know is scientifically impossible. Now, thoughts like those from a prominent physicist have had a subtle but significant influence on a generation of thinkers. And many have come to believe and now teach, and they teach through music and entertainment and government offices and classrooms, even some seminary classrooms. They teach Jesus is not the Savior. And or people don't really need a Savior in the first place. Yet Paul's voice echoes through 2,000 years. Don't be ashamed to speak for our Lord. Join with me in suffering for telling the good news. Now, sometimes the suffering comes unexpectedly. I realized one personal way I suffer this past Friday morning. As I often do, I was working on this in a Starbucks. I've long since stopped trying to figure out why God seems to get through to me in the chaos of an early morning Starbucks in ways He doesn't seem to get through to me anywhere else. Pretty much any Starbucks can quickly turn into one of my favorite places to study and write. And while I'm studying and writing, I love to spend time just people watching. And it seems like the Holy Spirit is teaching me to really look at people as they flow through, you know, to just kind of wonder about their stories. She's extra grumpy. I wonder what happened. He's really fired up. I wonder what's going on. You know, you wonder about their stories. You wonder uh, where they're headed, where they're headed that day, where they're headed in life. You just start to really look at them. And that can lead to some really fascinating conversations. Conversations with people and conversations with the Holy Spirit about the people. Some people call that prayer. And by the way, maybe it's just because I'm a clueless Canadian on things like this, but I don't believe any court can ever stop me from praying in a public place. And when I'm doing that, sometimes I get a sense someone is carrying something particularly heavy. Sometimes those are really obvious, and sometimes it turns into some really heavy, really hard, really beautiful conversations. So anyway, as I was watching the people this Friday morning and I started thinking about you, even though I don't know many of you yet, and, and I wondered how many of you had actually taken one or some of these cards to invite people to Christmas Eve here. Not, no offense, because there's anything spectacular that's going to happen here. There may be. This is the Holy Spirit we're talking about. But I wonder how many of you have given one or some of these cards to invite people or even had the conversation because see, as I watch those people come and go, you know, place like Starbucks sometimes the demon of guilt can get me thinking oh I should talk to him and him and, him and 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 her and her and her and her and her and I know I can't do that I realize I may never see most of those people again but then I started to think man they're heading all over this area so they might be in your classes They might be in your office. They might be in your department. They might be in your neighborhood. They might be in your gym. And honestly, folks, I believe that's where genuine church outreach can really happen. I believe the most potentially powerful outreach a local church can have isn't a program. It's people living their lives. The other 166 hours, they're not in here each week. Or maybe the other 164 hours, they're not here or meeting with a life group. See, this can be a really unique time of year for that kind of outreach. Another word for it is conversation. Man, these cards can be a simple little way to get one started. Not because not the church can save them. Not because Dennis can Not because any one of your overseers can. Not even because you can save them. That's what Jesus came for. Now, you just might have the privilege of introducing them to Him. Maybe because they come here on Christmas Eve. Maybe if they never come here. All I know is fellow lepers... My fellow lepers. This is good news. And we need to speak up. So a couple of weeks ago, when these just started going around, I bump into who's almost always this really eager lady who had done this. And I'm like this really doesn't seem like rocket science, but maybe you need an extra nudge. So I just wanted Lenny, because she was the first one that I heard of who actually took one of these and, come, I don't want to steal your thunder. Could she grab this? You know, can I do that? <laughs> you want me to hold it for you? No, I think I can do it. Is
1: that all right? I was shopping recently, as I'm sure you have been, and I went in this one store and as I first went in the store, I asked the clerk in the front um, told her I was looking for a certain product, and she said, "Well, if we have it it would be back there." Well, I was kind of already had that figured out that if they had it, it would be in the store somewhere but Anyway, um, so I wandered around for a while, and then this other clerk came up to me, asked if he could help, and I said, well, I'm looking for this particular product, and and we looked for a while, and it wasn't there, so he said, well, I said, well, I know I can get it online, but oh, I hate ordering online, and so he said, oh, I'll do that for you. So we went back to his computer, and he looked it up, and it took us a few minutes, and He started to process the order, and his computer wasn't cooperating. And he's just about to push the button to finalize the order, and I went, oh, shoot, I forgot my discount coupon. And um, he's like, oh, no problem. Just come back tomorrow, and I'll help you finish out the order. Um, So I came back the next day, and in the meantime, I've thanked him several times for helping this old person who doesn't like to do online shopping. I went back the next day, and he was there, and he helped me finish the order, and so during that process, I mean, by this time, we've spent maybe 15, 20 minutes together, so in my opinion now, he's my friend. Um, (laughs) That's kind of how I work, (laughs) and even though the conversation had only pertained to the order, I had my card with me. Actually, I had about 10 of them in my purse, Um, and I just thought, what the heck? Okay, let's try this. So I I said, Hey, you know, I just would love to invite you to our church for a Christmas Eve service. I hope you really get the focus in the right place. And he was like, Oh, and that's great. And I said, Yeah, it's a great church. Yeah, a lot of young people like you, and so forth. And um he said, Well, I and I said, if you don't already have a church home, and he said, Well, actually I do. And he told me the name of it. And I said, oh, yeah, that's a great church. It's a healthy church. And he goes, no, but I'm really glad you gave me this. And yeah, I might come. Well, we're at the back of the store. He said, now we have to walk to the front to get the printout. As we're walking toward the front, he said, and you know, my mom, she goes to such and such church, but she has to pick up my grandma and so forth. And I was like, why is he telling me all this? And I'm already losing track. But I decided, well, maybe he thinks we're friends now, too, because he's telling me all this story. So, anyway, that was all there was to it, and we printed the order. I've gone back twice to try to connect with him and remember his face in case he comes, because I know he's not going to be wearing his name badge. (laughs) So, but missed him both times, but I'm going back again this week to see if I can get his face in my head But.
0: Father, thank you. Sometimes it's really not easy. But all the time it's really simple. Thank you for this one illustration of the simplicity of it. Thank you for the beauty of it, that it's an unanswered story. I mean, it's an unended story. We don't know how it ends. You do. (laughs) It's about the message, not the messenger. It's about trusting you with the message. The good news. The Savior. Amen.